I actually started <clears throat> thinking and preparing this message about probably about six weeks ago. Um, it's funny, the staff have been kind of trying to find me, and there's a room upstairs where I kind of go and hibernate in. It's kind of a little bit of a cave. There's also a false rumor going around. Andy shared with the staff this week that I have 400 books on this topic of Job, which is, of course, a gross exaggeration. I only have 200. Um, <clears throat> no, maybe about a dozen. Um, in some ways, um, I, I feel like I've been preparing this message for about 45 years. Why do I say that? Because when I became a Christian in my teenage years, my grandfather gave me a Bible, which was very kind of him. Um, but in those days, we didn't really have discipleship groups and people who would come alongside you and teach you how to use the Bible. And so like most normal people do, I opened it at the beginning and I started reading the stories at the beginning, Genesis, which were good for a while. And then you go, ooh, not very comfortable with some of these. So I closed it. And then a few months later, I thought, why don't I do, why don't I read the Bible like most men read a newspaper, start at the back. So I went to the back of the Bible and read the last book of the Bible. And if any of you here today know what's in the last book of the Bible, that's even scarier than what's at the beginning of the Bible. So I very quickly closed it and put it aside for a few months. And then I thought, I'm going to have to demonstrate this to you with a microphone in my hand, if I can. I'll do this. I'll open it in the middle. What about that? And we'll see what happens. Opened it in the middle, and guess what appeared? The book of Job. So I thought, ooh, that looks interesting. So I read the first two chapters of the book of Job. I said, ooh, this is going to be a good book. And then I realized there were 39 chapters of poetry that came after the first two chapters and then a little bit at the end. So I gave up again. But I was always, always curious, what is that book about? Of course, over the years, I've heard messages on it. I've actually not given very many, um, maybe once or twice. Certainly, I've never spoken on the middle bit, the bit that I'm going to speak about today. I generally speak about the beginning and then jump to the end and then have a few references about what's going on in the middle. So it's been a bit of a challenge for me. And as opposed to life prepares you or... Um, shapes you in some way to be able to speak about these things. And I'm very, very, very conscious today that I'm talking about things that are very sensitive. Uh, I'm speaking to a group of people here and some who will be watching this on online and listening later on um, who either are going through or have gone through significant pain and struggles and suffering in their lives. Even as Odell has been praying today about the situations in Ukraine, Gaza, Sudan, um, I don't know about you, but I feel helpless, absolutely helpless. We can pray about these, but to in any way at all be able to understand the suffering and the pain that people are going through, we can't. We really can't. Um, I just want to also start by reading a poem that a friend gave me. Um, he gave me this poem quite recently saying, I don't know if this will be helpful in your preparing your messages on Job, but he gave it to me, and I'm going to read his poem. Obviously, it will remain anonymous. I am not like Job. God would not hold me up as a shining example of, going th of what it is to go through suffering. Satan would certainly not waste his wager on me. I still have children. I still have my wealth. 
I still have friends who comfort me from time to time. But I have only one thing that keeps me awake. One room I cannot enter. One child who breaks my heart. For some people, their suffering brings them close to God, draws them close to his loving heart, makes them somehow nobler, kinder, more devout, steadfast, and confident. If this is suffering, it has left me down in the hearth still with Job. I'm still waiting for answers that have not yet come, waiting for the whirlwind to appear. If you wonder what the whirlwind is, you need to come next week and listen to Naomi. So today I want to take you through um, some lessons from the book of Job. And here we go. Um, We've called this series Suffering Stories. It might be better to call them Wisdom Stories because it is suffering that we're going to think about, but we're going to think about how do we understand and cope with our suffering. That's what we're going to be thinking about. Over this um, period of the year, September, October, November, we've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament. In September, we looked at some of the law, the foundation stories in the Bible, the stories that have kind of got a bit of an exclamation mark afterwards. Is this who God is? This is who God is. This is how the world is set up. This is how God started to work. Then we've spent time in October thinking about the what are called the prophets or the historical stories, uh, how people followed God, how people didn't follow God, how people wavered in their faith, what God thought about that. And over the course of this month, we're thinking about the, the books called the writings, the wisdom stories. Before we jump into Job, um, the book of James in the New Testament is often referred to as the the New Testament's wisdom book. Um, Wisdom is really the the, the dominant feature in the book of Job and in other books like the Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, um, books like this, um, think and Proverbs, think about what it is to have wisdom that comes from God. And in these books, they say true wisdom, which when they're thinking about wisdom, they're not saying to be clever. They're not saying to be educated. They're not saying to be smart. That is not wisdom. Some of the greatest fools who ever lived were well-educated people. So we're not talking about that. And the best definition I've ever heard of wisdom is the word skill. So to have wisdom is to learn a skill in how to live our lives, um, to make good decisions, and sometimes the skill to deal with pain and trials and sufferings and how could we understand them. In the New Testament book of James, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So right at the very start of the book of James, as James is writing to these Christians, we don't know exactly where they were, we don't know exactly when it was written, but one thing we do know is they were facing trials. They were facing pressure. The word trials in this uh, verse literally means pressure, something that's weighing heavy 
upon someone's shoulders where they're just weighed down by difficult, painful circumstances. Some of the early Christians um, were excluded, lost their jobs. Some of them were even living in fear of losing their lives. And right down through the history of the Christian faith, uh, Christians have always faced this, um, faced the suffering and the trials and the um, uh, the risk, the, the, the threat of even being killed for their faith with martyrdom. Even in the current times in which we're living, there are thousands and thousands of Christians around the world living under threat of persecution and even death itself. So he says, consider it joy when you face these because God is actually working to produce perseverance within us. But then he says this at the end of the verse. He says, there's one thing we all need more than anything else if we're going to survive, if we're going to handle it, never mind counting it as joy, if we're going to make it, he says, we need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I don't know what you think you need, or if you were writing that book, or someone came to you and said, what do I need to get through this? Would you say that? I don't know if I would say that, but that's what James says. That's what God says to us this morning. The main thing we need in life, and I'm really emphasizing this at the start of the message, if we're going to make it and get through, according to the Bible, is wisdom. And so, why? Well, there's the big question. <laughs> the question that sometimes we're afraid to ask, but the question that everyone asks is, why? Why do good, bad things happen to good people? That's what we're going to think about today. Also in the book of Job asks this question, why do good things come to bad people? It's one thing to ask the first one, but why do the bad people in the world always seem to have so many good things happening to them? They're rich, they're prosperous, they're happy, they've got all sorts of friends, apparently. They feature in magazines and books. They're the success stories, but they're bad people. Why do evil people get away with it? Why do the innocent always seem to suffer? Is there any justice in this world? And here's the biggie. If there is a God, a God who is sovereign, a God who is all-powerful and a God who's good, if such a God exists, why doesn't he do something about it? That's the question. And I'm sure you've been asked that question. I've been asked it more than any other question that I think I've ever been asked. And when I started off in ministry in Edinburgh all those years ago and went into high schools to do assemblies, um, at the end of every, or not assemblies, in, uh, uh, RE lessons, at the end of RE lessons, I would always say, has anyone got any questions? And they always had questions. And this question came every single time. Hey, mister, if you're God so special and God's good, how come that, you know, my mom has got suffering? And how come my friend died? And how come there's war in the world? And how come etc., etc., etc. That's the big question that Job is trying to wrestle with. So what we're going to do today, I'm going to try and do two things. In this middle section, the meaty bit, okay, between the two sandwiches, two pieces of bread, we really hear Job's words, okay? There are 10 speeches made by Job, 
and there's a whole bunch of speeches made by his friends. So we're going to try and do two things, if we possibly can, in the time that's left to us. I want to spend a bit of time thinking about Job, uh, and how do we respond personally? How do we view ourselves, our situation, our circumstances? How did Job view what he was going through? What did he see? What did he understand by it? And how to talk to God. Job teaches us, and the book of Job gives us permission to speak to God very, very directly and very clearly. We're going to see what he did. And then secondly, at the end, we're going to think generally, how do we respond to others? How do we speak to others who are going through suffering, whether it's someone we know personally or, or from a distance or in general? What sort of answers do we give if people ask us those questions? How not to talk to God? And Job's friends are a classic example of how we should not speak to others and how we should not speak to God. So I want to make sure I get to Job's friends. So let's go. Let's think, first of all, of the words of Job. Um, I would encourage you to uh, spend a wee bit of time reading some of Job's words. I'm going to give you a little tiny taste this morning of some of Job's words. As I've said, I've spent weeks reading and wrestling and pondering some of these words. There's different ways you can read the book of Job. You can read it from start to finish if you want. That's one way. Um, another way you could read it is to take, just extract Job's words and then extract his friend's words and put them all together uh, and just read what Job says. Um, Job gives us a great example in this book of how we're supposed to talk to God. So let's go. <clears throat> the first thing that we can learn from Job is this. When Job starts to speak in verse in chapter 3, it says, after this, as in after the first two chapters, which Andy spoke to you about last week, which I'm sure you can all remember, after the situation that was going on behind the scenes, in fact, just let me say one thing about that. Uh, if you didn't hear Andy's message last week, I would really encourage you to listen to it. Obviously, I'm not going to repeat it today, but without listening to Andy's message, today's message won't make sense. Um, if we jump in on chapter 3 and we read these bits and we didn't hear that, this will not make sense. Because one of the messages of this book is there is an unseen world all around us that is just as real as this world. If we don't believe that, we don't take that into account, we will never understand suffering and we will never be able to cope with it. And we will think that all of this is God's fault. If we don't understand Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, there is an unseen world where God exists and God has his plans and his purpose, but there are other forces at work in that world which is just as real today as it was in the days of Job. And there are forces at work against God that are trying to thwart what God wants to see happen. Going to say something will probably be a bit of a struggle for you, and I'm very, very happy to speak to you about this afterwards or email or some other time. According to those two chapters, God does not always get his own way. God does not always get his own way. If you think he does, you will never, ever be able to cope with suffering. 
in this world. There are forces at work in this world which sometimes win. Sometimes they overcome and they thwart and, and block what God's good purpose is for this world. But those verses, those chapters also teach us that ultimately God has set boundaries in place. There is all kinds of freedom, but there are boundaries in place. And eventually, and this will come in at the end of the book, God says that himself to Job. Yes, Job, there are evil forces in this world. There are forces which you can't control, and sometimes they thwart my purpose, but Job, I have set boundaries in place beyond which they cannot go. They can do a lot of damage, a lot of harm, but ultimately they can go so far. And the other thing which God's going to reveal to Job is that Job, that God is involved in the midst of all of that with us. So please, if you can, listen to Andy's message. So the first thing we learn from Job is that Job speaks. He doesn't hold it all inside. And if we try to do that for whatever reason, then we will not be able to process and cope with our pain. We won't. I understand that there's times and place where we need to be ready to do that. Okay, no one can force you to speak. If you're not ready to speak, then don't speak. But there has to come a time in your life where, like Job, we open our mouths and we start to speak. Because if we don't, that will eat away inside us. That pain will, will sit there and rest there forever. You also need a safe place to do that. You know that when you're ready to do it, there needs to be someone or maybe it's a group of friends or whatever, I don't know, that is, creates a safe place for you to talk about these things. And it's not going to respond to you the way Job's friends did. But we'll come to Job's friends a little bit later on. So what does he say? First thing Job says in chapter 3 is, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I had never been born. May the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a boy is born. May that day be turned to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. I wish I had never been born. And he needs to say that. And when people say things like this in our presence, we need to let them speak. Don't correct them. Don't say, don't be saying things like that. Let people speak. Let them get it all out. Let create a safe place for them to say what they need to say. The second thing, of course, which Job does is he asks the question why. Over and over again in chapter 3, he says, why? 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 Six times, I'm sorry, seven times in this chapter one, he says, why God? What have I done to deserve this? Why is this coming to me? I have served you faithfully. I have obeyed you. I have followed you. I have loved you. I have cared for the poor. Later on in his speeches, especially near the end of his speeches, Job recounts everything that he's done for the poor for the orphan, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the stranger and the foreigner. He says, God, I cared for people. I looked out for everyone who was struggling, and I served them 
faithfully. So why? Why, God, is this happening to me? Don't be afraid to say those words. Please don't be afraid to say them. I have, at several times in my life, I want you to know I have shouted those words to God. When we start to do that, <clears throat> then we'll be able to speak to God. And through his, um, his speeches, Job also teaches us that we shouldn't be afraid to talk to God directly. Don't be afraid to talk back to God. Don't be afraid to wrestle with your circumstances. And Job does this. Boy, does he wrestle. I'd love to be able to share a lot more this morning, but again, I encourage you, read what Job says. Try it this week. Just If you want, just go through his bits, his, his speeches. See what he says to God. It will shock you. It will absolutely shock you what this man says to God. Here's a little bit of a taste. God, you've afflicted me. God, you've denied me justice. God, I will be vindicated one day, and I'm going to make sure you do it. God, I just can't see you anymore. Where are you? Show me. Show up. That's what he does in these speeches. He speaks to God. And the reason why we know he spoke true words is because at the end, when God eventually speaks to Job's friends, he says, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So if you read those words and they make you wince a little bit, God says, he has spoken the truth about me. God wants Job to wrestle with him. I will not keep silent, Job says. I will speak out in my anguish of spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Here I go, God. You better be ready because I'm a coming and I've got a lot to say to you. And boy, he does. Then what happens in the book of Job and Job's speeches is really, really interesting. Again, you've got to trust me in this or read them for yourselves. Light starts to shine. When Job is honest about his circumstances, when Job starts to speak to God, God starts to shine a little bit of light into this man's soul. And things slowly, slowly but surely, and it, 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 these, the verses I'm going to put up are progressive, progressing through, through some of his speeches till we get to his final speech in chapter 29. Light starts to shine in his soul. A little bit of light at first. He starts to see a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope. And then it gets a little bit brighter, and then a little bit brighter. I'll show you what I mean. The first thing he says that gives him a bit of light is this. Though he slay me, yet I will wait for him. Now, the good Bible students here today will know that that is not what the verse says in the NIV or in the King James. If you grew up with the King James Bible, as I did, which my grandfather gave me, it says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Trust him. The NIV, what does the NIV say? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That is not what the verse says. It is not the word for trust, and it is not the word for hope. I think the translators were a wee bit frightened 
to translate what it really does say. Job says, though he slay me, I'm going to wait till I hear from him. I'm going to tarry around till God speaks. Look at the next phrase. I will surely defend my ways to his face. That is bold. But what he's, start, what he's starting to see is God wants to hear him. God wants to interact with him. He wants Job to do this. He wants him to wrestle with it and come to the point where he says, God, you have to speak. you got to show up because I just can't see where you are. And I need to see you. A little bit of light starts to show through. Then a little bit later on, he starts to see a little bit more light. And he says this, Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God. I have a witness. I've got somebody who sees what I'm going through, who's watching. I've got an advocate. I've got someone who's standing in my defense. Remember last week what Andy was saying about the accuser? The Satan. It's not the word Satan. It's not the personal word. It's, a, it's the word the Satan, the accuser. Job knows he's got an accuser. But now he realizes, hold on a minute. I've got an advocate. I've got somebody else who's actually trying to defend me. That's what advocates do. They stand in defense of somebody who's being oppressed and accused. I've got an intercessor. I've got somebody who's standing in the gap, possibly praying for me or representing me, and he's my friend. Can you see what's starting to happen? Job in his pain and his struggling, and he hears these accusing words over and over and over from his friends, We'll come to them. Trust me, we will come there. The accusation comes from Job's friends, but then he starts to realize there's somebody else. He's in heaven. He's on high. And he's my friend. See what's happening? He's starting to get some glimpses that maybe God is still around. And then chapter 19, the great, probably the greatest glimpse of light that comes to Job. Words that I'm sure many of us have read or heard of, and maybe we've treasured these words. I know, he says, that my Redeemer lives. Redeemer, that's the word. That word should ring a bell. That's the word that we shared when we were doing our series on Ruth. I think it was um, Odell who was speaking particularly about the meaning of that word goel, and a redeemer is somebody who buys something back, who says, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to buy back everything you've lost, Naomi and Ruth. I'm going to reclaim you, reclaim your lives, reclaim everything you've lost. I'm going to give you a new hope. I'm going to restore your, your belongings, give you a home. And ultimately, the redeemer in the book of Ruth married Ruth and gave her a child and a destiny through whom Jesus came into the world. That's who Job starts to see. My Redeemer. Now, did Job get all of that? No, he didn't. Did Job know who the Redeemer was? No, he didn't. We do. We do as Christians, as people who are following God today. We know who that Redeemer is. His name is Jesus. Job could only see a little faint glimpse, but he knew that somebody was there in heaven and he was alive. I know that in the end, he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed and my flesh or my body, I will see God. Like he, look, look what he said. He's emphasizing this over and over again. 
I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, not another. How my heart yearns for this to come. Can you see what's happening? He's starting to see that God hasn't forsaken him, that God is right there with him. And somehow, somehow, my Redeemer is alive. And even if I lose this body of, of flesh and skin and bones, one day I will stand on this earth with my Redeemer and he will be here and I will see him. I can't see him right now, but I will see him. And he affirms that. Finally, Job says this in, verse, in chapter 23, which is right near the end of his speeches. He says these words. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Beautiful words. But I want to kind of retranslate these words for you this morning because they're even more powerful than what you, you see up there. Here's my kind of fresh translation of these words. Job is saying he knows, and the word he used there is very specific. You can know about something, or you can know something by experiencing it. That's the word he uses. He knows by experience the road that I'm on. Oh, he's gone through this. I'm not alone. As I'm going, walking down this painful road of suffering and, and, and trial, Somebody is walking this road with me, and he's feeling it. He's experiencing it just like I am. When he has tested me like gold, I shall emerge. That's really what he's saying. He's not just saying one day I will be like gold, but something is happening in the here and the now God is refining me and doing something in me and he's going to complete this and I'm going to come out. I'm going to come out of this. Either in this life or the life to come, I am going to make it. So, friends, brothers, sisters, do you see what's happening in this book? God is allowing all of this to happen. He's allowing the accuser to afflict him. He's allowing these unseen forces to, to have their way in this poor man's life. But God is there in the midst with him. And eventually, light starts to shine through. Okay, before I finish, I have to say a couple of things about Job's friends. Uh, Kirsten and I have a really good friend who lives up in Sterling. And every time we go to see her, this is the song that she says, Don, 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 yeah, play that song again. And we get the phone or we whatnot. That's what friends are for. Do you remember it? Maybe not. Maybe most of you are past, you know, way, way distant past. But famous song, can't remember, there were four people, Elton John, Stevie Wonder, Dionne Warwick, and somebody else sang this song. Um, someone can help me who the fourth person was. That's what friends are for. Anyway, better not go anymore. Um, Job has three friends. Okay, they're introduced to us in chapter two, and we see them right through the book. But they're not really friends. <clears throat> 
When Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes. They met together by agreement to go and do what? They came to sympathize and comfort him. And at the end of the book, eventually Job receives it. But in the middle, he doesn't receive that. So what were they supposed to do? And what are we supposed to do when we know someone who goes through suffering? Here's what these two words mean. To sympathize, the word, the Hebrew word that's used there for sympathize means to shake your head in compassion and sympathy. It's a bit like this. Coming to someone and going, that was awful. That sucks. That's what sympathy means. Say no more. Stand beside the person. Put an arm around them if they're comfortable with you doing it and just keep saying it. This is awful. They didn't do that. The second thing is to comfort. And to comfort the Hebrew word is the word for repent, to change your mind and to be sorry about something. Eventually, they came and they apologized to Job. Job, I am so sorry. I spoke utter nonsense, utter nonsense to you. I am so sorry. And the word literally means to sigh. It's like, I am so sorry. <sighs> That's what it means. They didn't do that. <clears throat> Instead, they came with their black and white answers. Job, you are to blame. Job, you've got to have done something wrong. Job, God doesn't work like this. Job, God is a God who only gives good things to good people and he always punishes bad people. And if this is happening to you. You must be a bad person, Job. And eventually God says this about them. You have not spoken the truth about me. The word is literally to me as my servant Job has. So as we draw this to a close today and a conclusion, just let me conclude it with this. Job is a book about theology <laughs> and it's a book about bad theology. And when you get your theology bad, when you have the wrong view of God as they did, and by the way, read their words, they are scary. Because when you read the words of Job's friends, they sound an awful like, like our words at times too. They do. And the words of Job's friends were not inspired by God. Get that? They were not inspired by God. And if anyone ever gives you a verse from the book of Job, make sure it's not one of Job's friends because it's not comforting. <laughs> it's not. A distorted view of God and his world leads to an insensitive view of others and responding to them in, an, uh, in a harmful, ungodlike way. Be really, really careful what you say and what you believe about suffering. And ultimately, it misses the whole point. The whole point of the book of Job is this, is that Yahweh, and by the way, every single time these guys speak, they never use the word Yahweh. Not once. They talk about God in a generic, general sense. Yahweh is with us 
in our pain and suffering. God is working to overcome this, and one day he will. So as we finish, before the band, band are going to come up and join us and play a song, and then we're going to move into communion. Let's just pause for a moment of silence. Let's reflect on what we've heard today. Let's think, first of all, about ourselves. Say, God, have I not been there for someone when I should have been? Have I said too much when I should have just closed my mouth? Is there someone, Lord, that I know, and you want me to call them maybe this week, or go around for a visit, or make them a cup of tea, or pick up the phone, or send them a wee message and just say, what you're going through is awful. I am so sorry. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we have wrong views about you and wrong views about suffering and pain. If there's anyone in this building today who is going to listen to this message and watch it later on, they're going through a very, very tough, painful time. I pray, Lord Jesus, Redeemer, Advocate, and Comforter, that you will just shine your light into their heart, their soul, their mind, and into their body, and show them that you're with them, that this has ultimately not come from your perfect will, but that you're with them, and you're working, and that you will help them, and they will come through this time, either in this life or in the life to come. Jesus, draw near to them today. In your name, amen.